0: all right good morning glad you're here can we pray and we'll get started this morning father we bless your name you're good and holy god writes us above all we worship you you're the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end there's none like you we need to hear from you today so would you speak to us by your spirit, through your word, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see all the things that you have in store for us to hear and see today. Uh, thank you, Father, for such a great weekend with our teenagers. God, thank you for what you're doing. And then through the churches of the 4B area, we, we bless you for it and in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we are going to continue our series, part one of our series in the book of Revelation. This morning will be in Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11, Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 to 11. While you're turning there, let me just celebrate. You may remember at the end or right at the Christmas season, we were collecting Items to build welcome kits for an organization called Houston Welcomes Refugees. Houston Welcomes Refugees is all about uh, taking uh, the gospel. In love to people from all over the world that are showing up in Houston, having left home uh, and trying to find a new one. And so you you put to, these were serious kids, too. We're not talking about like a little shoebox. You're talking about a big Tupperware a lot of stuff inside that—that's not just uh, not just cheap. And you guys put together 52 of those welcome kits, which Houston welcomes refugees was so excited about that, and I'm really really grateful for that. They you donated what it was like. Ten soccer balls. I love that personally. That you, this church, ten soccer balls. You spoke to my heart in that way, and uh, some blankets and and money and donations. And so that's a really really big deal. So thank you for thank you for that, and thank you to all of you who are weary adults who hosted and served and did all that this weekend. I just really appreciate it. All right, Revelation chapter two, verse eight to eleven. Before we read it we need to understand a little bit of background so that we can understand the letter that we're getting ready to read. So the first part of revelation is a message to seven churches and these seven churches beginning in Ephesus and ending in Laodicea. These seven churches are along a postal route along a trade route. That makes perfect sense from a Harbor in Ephesus all the way to uh, Laodicea and and these seven churches are actual churches, uh, pastored by actual pastors, filled with actual people, and each one of them is a, in a unique environment. They're all uh, located in what is today modern-day uh, turkey and each letter has a kind of like a common form so you get jesus introducing himself to the church in a very unique and special way to that church you call that the revelation of jesus to the church there is also sort of this pattern that is commendation for the church criticism for the church counsel and comfort or command and promise all of this is usually in these uh letters there are seven of them in part one of our series we're going to look at three of the seven letters of this uh, to the seven churches so if you want to get the other four letters you're going to have to come to turkey with me let's see how i did that right there september 11 to 21 we'll put your feet in the seats in these churches and uh and I say your feet because it's down in the dirt and so you'll uh but you'll be there and I uh, hope that you can can come um let's talk about the church at Smyrna the church at Smyrna which is is our church for today in order to understand this letter you got to understand the city and the church. So this letter came in about 95 AD. I'm going to show you a picture of the city. This is an archeological illustrator who takes what we know about the city and then and then draws it so that we can understand it. So if you look there uh, toward the Aegean, you, you're going to see a harbor. Anytime you see a harbor in a city, what does a harbor mean? It means money, the bottom line. It means people are bringing goods In to the city, goods are going out of the city, and so you have a harbor, and from the harbor, the lowest point in the city, up to the Acropolis, which is at a place called Mount Pegas, you have everything in between is completely and utterly Roman. So this is, for Asia Minor, this is the center of imperial cult worship. So where do you go in Asia to worship the emperor you go to smyrna uh from from the harbor there up to mount Pegasus, there are temples to Sibele, which is uh, a mother goddess we you know i don't know if you know much about mother goddess and fertility goddess but we have you ever heard anybody talk about mother earth over here in the united states of america that's like an outpouring of this so lots of cultures through the generations have a mother goddess. This is is the mother goddess. There's a temple to Apollo, a temple to Asclepius, which is the god of healing, a temple to Aphrodite, and then heading up to a shrine to Zeus himself toward the top. So from the bottom to the top, the more powerful the god, the higher they are. So what I want you to see is that this is a very religious city. They're just focused on Roman uh, gods. They worship the emperor. Their claim to fame is they are the birthplace, so they think, of Homer, of Iliad and Odyssey fame. Has anybody read the Iliad and the Odyssey? All right. So uh, this is this is them. Smyrna comes from a word that means uh, myrrh. Where have you heard myrrh before? Myrrh was del- was brought by the Magi. To, to uh to Jesus when he was one was was uh two or three years old it's also used in in burial ceremonies and so um, smyrna is named for myrrh because it's expensive and all that stuff but myrrh is also associated with suffering and death so when you think of smyrna think of the opulence of rome the riches of rome the religion of rome think of the beauty of rome but also you have to think of suffering and death this is in its background. This is in its history. And the time period evidences suffering, tribulation, and persecution for Christians, but maybe not exactly how you would think. Uh, instantly, when people think of persecutions of Christians, when it comes to Rome, they put you know somebody in a stadium with lions. But before there was that kind of persecution, the first people to persecute Uh, the Christians in Roman Asia Minor were actually the Jews. And there's a reason for that. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD in Jerusalem by the Romans. And there was immense pressure for the Jews all over the Roman Empire to tip their hat to Rome, tip their hat to imperial cult worship so they could continue doing what they do in their synagogues. The problem with the Christians was the Christians would not tip their hat to Rome. And so the Jews persecuted the Christians because they did not want to be associated with people like John, who is the, the writer of this letter. They do not want to be associated with Christians who also consider themselves Jewish because they don't tip their hat to Rome. They only worship Jesus, this risen Nazarene. Now, in the chronologues of history, for those of you who care about this at all, in AD 90, there's a document uh, in Hebrew called the Shemona Ezra, And in that, there is a, a curse called the curse of Minam. And the curse of Minam was the attempt of the Jewish people to say uh, Christians cannot worship in synagogues anywhere in Asia Minor. So people like John and his disciples, for them, the the persecution intensified. Later then would come the persecution of Rome. So you think about crucifixion and stadiums and lions and all that. That would come. Later, Because they were perturbed by the Christian worship of Jesus as the son of God and the king of kings. Because this was in direct contrast to the imperial cult worship, to Roman propaganda and Roman power. And the emperor, Domitian, expanded emperor worship and the combination of all of this that I've just summed up in like two minutes. Pinched the Christians... At Smyrna, eventually to death. They were persecuted to death, eventually. There is a well-known martyr from Smyrna named Polycarp. Polycarp, anybody name their kid Polycarp, by the way? No, we don't, we don't grab this one. I don't know why, but... Polycarp knew and was, inst- he knew John, the disciple who was instructed by John. Arrhenius, the historian, wrote in between 130 and 200 AD, he confirmed that Polycarp was John's disciple. Polycarp was the pastor of the church at Smyrna, probably when the letter, this letter that we're getting ready to read was delivered. He is the most famous martyr from Smyrna, and he was executed on February 23, AD 155. And we have recorded in a letter from the church of Smyrna to the believers or another church in philomelomium, which is in Phrygia, everything that happened to Polycarp on, on uh, around the time that, that he was martyred. And I'll, I'll I'll come back to that later. Now with all that in mind, stand up with me. We're going to read the letter. Revelation chapter two, beginning in verse eight, ending in verse 11. Here's what the scripture says. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. You may be seated. Bless you. Let's look at the statement of Revelation or Revelation chapter 2 verse 8. Who does Jesus say that he is when he begins to speak to the church at Smyrna? He says, I am the first and the last, indicating that he was there when it started and he will be there after it ends. Ironically, Smyrna often calls itself the first among cities. And Jesus begins to just point to this church and say, you might live in the first among cities, but I am the first and the last. He introduces himself as the one who died and came to life. Now, this is very, very appropriate for the hearers at Smyrna. Because resurrection, you know, he died at the, Jesus died at the hands of Roman crucifixion but resurrection defies worldly power. It overcomes worldly power. So for him to say at the very beginning, I died and came to life. He's telling Smyrna to have hope in who he is, Jesus. He's saying to to the church at Smyrna, look, Smyrna may take your life, but Jesus will give you real power in life again after death. Because resurrection overcomes any and all worldly power. Jesus is saying to them just in the introduction, he is more powerful than anything on earth, including death. This is important for the church of Smyrna. I imagine them gathered in some home or in the tunnels of the Agora. In, in a quiet moment, listening to this letter being written, and if you were in the church this morning at the time and you heard of the persecution that was coming in this letter, you would be uh, filled possibly with dread. And Jesus is saying, "Like, look, I am more powerful than anything on earth. I was dead and I came to life, and that's why when we come to Jesus in salvation." we confess with our mouth that Jesus is lord and believe in his in our heart that God raised him from the dead it's it's that resurrection that is trumping everything all worldly power then they get a statement of commendation look at at revelation chapter 2 verse 9 it says this i know your tribulation and your poverty but you are rich and the slander of those who say they are jews and are not but are a synagogue of Satan. Now, in the commendation, here's what I love about Jesus. Do you know he he knows exactly what this church is going through? He knows exactly what this church will go through. Just like the church of Smyrna, do you know that, that he knows exactly what the church of Bay Area is going through? That he knows exactly what the church of Bay Area will go through. He is uniquely and intimately involved with the church at Smyrna. He knows, and that is really good news, he knows their tribulation. Meaning he knows their suffering. He knows their poverty. Apparently, this church was of minuscule influence and wealth when it came to the city of Smyrna. Everyone in Smyrna, there, there is a class system that I don't have time to understand, to, to help you understand right now. <laughs> but there's a class system. And in that class system, opulence and wealth rules the day. In the church... At Smyrna, apparently they were impoverished. It's probably because of their tribulation. In fact, it's probably because they were not participating in imperial cult worship, that they were unable to work and therefore didn't have money. They were probably persecuted by people, both Roman and Jewish, uh, and, and not able to work. And so Jesus says, I know your poverty, but then he makes the statement that I think is, is so awesome. It's parenthetical in my translation. It says, but you are, you are rich. You are rich. So apparently Jesus can see treasures that they have that maybe they don't even see right now. He knows that they don't have material possession. He knows that they struggle to put bread on the table. He knows that they are suffering, but he's saying to them in in Christ, you are rich. He understands the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not. And he calls them the synagogue of Satan. Everybody always asks what is that? What is the synagogue of Satan? Can we go visit the synagogue of Satan? No, if there was a synagogue of Satan, I'm not going there. I'm not going to take you there. It's weird. But also, Jesus uses this terminology to say of the synagogue in Smyrna particularly, They are slandering you because they're in cahoots with Rome. They're tipping their hats with Rome. And they're saying, we want to distance ourselves from these who are Jews, but also say they follow the risen Nazarene Jesus. We don't want any part of them. We don't want them in our synagogues. That's why you get that curse of Minam in history that I talked about just a minute ago and so jesus knows this he knows the slander that they're facing and this is what i want to encourage you with if you're suffering if you're going through tribulation if you have hardship understand this jesus knows intimately your suffering he knows your tribulation he knows how you're being slandered all of it he knows it and this is a great comfort to me now, interestingly, in these seven churches, typically there is a statement of commendation, like they've just gotten here, and typically there's a statement of criticism. However, the church of Smyrna gets no criticism. Now, that's, that's interesting. They're not the richest church. They're not the biggest church, but they're the most persecuted church. And somehow, This is not, this is only worthy of commendation in Jesus's eyes. Only worthy of commendation in Jesus's eyes. No criticism given. Now what, here's the thing. You would think, like in our economy, as we think, like, okay, this is no criticism given. This is the best church; they get a hundred on the test, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Man, what happens after you win the best church award among the seven churches? Do you, if you go to Disney World, what do you do? What do you, when and they get nothing like that. They just get no criticism, but they do find out in the letter that they're going to face more tribulation, more suffering. For their association with Jesus. There is no promise of deliverance. No promise of the absence of suffering. There's promise of power and life after death. Now, I think we and we, so many of us out there that call ourselves the church, we need to hear that. That you might be in, in right relationship with Jesus, walking just like he wants you to. And you may face suffering, tribulation. And in some way, you might get commendation for how you're dealing with it. And it may never be removed. We're all wearing shirts that say what? The good life and sometimes the good life is not void of suffering. Now here we get a statement of command in verse chapter two, verse 10. Look at, look at this verse with me. It says in verse 10, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Do you love it when someone says that something like that to you? Like, don't, don't, don't fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, this gets worse. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. It's very specific in, in, in some ways and very non-specific in other ways the, so imagine sitting in the, In the hearing of this letter for the first time, and maybe there's 20 or 25 or 30 people. And and the letter says, some of you are going to be thrown into prison by the devil. Who's ready for that? Excited for that. Oh, sign me up, please. And for 10 days, you're going to face tribulation. Now, what you would like to see here is, but don't worry, I'm going to get you out of there the first day. It doesn't say that. It says, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Jesus knows their suffering intimately. He knows what's coming for them that they cannot see yet. And the command that he gives them is to be faithful unto death. Do not fear. Be faithful unto death. Do not fear, be faithful unto that. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus was teaching his disciples and He said, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body and hell. The misplaced fear is something that easily happens in the context of church. And Jesus is teaching his disciples, look, fear God. Fear God. Do not fear what's coming against you and be faithful unto death. Now, what we learn is that there's no, uh, in the scriptures, there's no reason to fear man. Man. There's no reason to fear, ultimately to fear spiritual forces of evil as a Christian. Because all they can do is kill you, your body. And Jesus got this much grander understanding of the good life in that it goes beyond just the years you have in this body. That's why he introduced himself at the beginning. I'm the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I'm the one who died and rose again. And in Christ, we will too. Now, Jesus, even though he says, hey, don't fear, be faithful unto death. He gives them two promises to hold on to because they are going to have to lean into these commands. Don't fear and be faithful unto death. Two promises he gives them. One, I will give you the crown of life. I will give you the crown of life. Now, this is not a regal crown. This is not a political crown. This is a victor's crown. And the victor's crown is like the one who ran a race and won it. And at the end of it, they put a crown on his head and said, you're the winner. Or her head and said, you're the winner. Jesus is saying, I will give you the crown of life. If you will be... Not don't fear and be faithful unto death. I will give you the crown of life. Even if you die, you're going to win the whole thing. You're going to win life. The winner of life. That's you. If you'll be faithful unto death, I'll give you the crown of life. He also says this. I promise you, you will not be hurt by the second death. That's interesting. Second death. How do you die? Twice. Well, he teaches them to anticipate martyrdom. That's death number one. Be faithful unto death. You may be martyred, but you won't be hurt by the second death. The second death is mentioned in Scripture a couple of times. Revelation chapter t- uh, chapter twenty verse six. It says, "Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection." Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. The first, the one who shares in the first resurrection doesn't experience the second death. The second place it talks about this, Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into The lake of fire. Now, here's what we learn is that there is a second death. And in the second death, even death will die. So Jesus has overcome. He rose again from the dead. You will die in this body somehow. This will be the first death. But there is a second death that we will talk much more about in the book of Revelation. But there is a second death. And he's saying to them, Be faithful unto death in the first death. Death, because the second death will never touch you. You will live for eternity in Christ. You will be resurrected and glorified in Christ. This is the promise. that He gives them victor's crown, and you will not be hurt by the second death. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, interesting, what does this mean for me? (laughs) Right? You don't feel like, you know. You're being persecuted. What does this mean? What does this mean for us? It means as servants of Jesus, we need to be faithful in all circumstances, even intense persecution or suffering. It means we need to be faithful, even in intense persecution, suffering. So typically you... America's the United States, why do they not share the gospel? America's the United States don't share the good news of Jesus Christ because they're worried what the other person will think about them typically or what the system that they work in that they're a part of or a school they go to or whatever, how that will impact them. And so they don't share the gospel because they don't want to suffer. See, that's a little thing. Jesus is saying to the church at Smyrna, be faithful unto death. He's asking them to be faithful to Jesus, the king, be faithful to Jesus's kingdom, not anything else. He's not calling them to be faithful to Rome, not calling them to be faithful to the Jewish faith. He's calling them to be faithful to Jesus, faithful to the kingdom of Jesus and to walk in his way no matter what. Remember that guy, Polycarp, that we talked about earlier? Go back to him for just a second. The letter that was written from the church at Smyrna where Polycarp was a bishop to a church in Phrygia detailing what's done. It's about a 10 page, 15 page document if you were to read the whole thing, but I just want to, I want to read to you a part of it. This is what happened when Polycarp was killed for his faith. So it says that Polycarp entered the stadium at Smyrna under arrest, which means they drug this old man in the stadium in front of a crowd and in front of authorities. Um, the proconsul of Smyrna asked him to renounce Christ in the church. And these are what I'm getting ready to read to you is a dialogue quoted. The proconsul said, Swear by the fortune of Caesar, repent and say away with the atheists now got to remember they're roman so the proconsul is telling the christian to repent and saying you need to say away with the atheists the the romans viewed the christians as atheists make that that swap in your head because they didn't worship all the their gods so they're atheists. He says to, to Polycarp, you know, renounce Christ, repent and say away with the a- atheists. The, the letter says that Polycarp motioned with his hands to the Romans and said, away with the atheists. The proconsul again demanded him to renounce Christ. Polycarp, and this is a quote, Polycarp said, 86 years I have served him. So he's an old man at this time. 86 years I have served him and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Now, when Jesus, imagine if the dates line up, polycarp being the pastor of the church at Smyrna when they receive a letter that says I'm the first and the last I'm the one that died and came to life I know your tribulation your poverty but you're rich I know that you're slandered by the synagogue of Satan some of you the devil's gonna lock up be faithful unto death. Can you imagine? you think that letter went through Polycarp's mind in the stadium that day? 86 years I have served him and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? To make a long story short, they sentenced him to be burned at the stake. It says... <clears throat> that Polycarp they you, normally they would nail someone down in that burning at the stake situation, and he said i don 't need to be nailed down i 'll just stand here from there, eventually he dies, martyr. This is what Polycarp thought following Jesus meant. That day. And here's what it means for you and for me. We have made our Christianity like Disney World, we have uh, made it like candy to some degree, super easy. And yet this church, the church of Smyrna, I am facing intense persecution. We would not be a church right now. We would not be a church that received a letter from Jesus that had no criticism. There, were, there would be criticism. Smyrna faces no criticism because of their persecution, and because of the level of their persecution, and because they are being faithful unto death. Now, I don't know if you'll ever stand in a stadium like Polycarp. I kind of doubt it. But I do know we need to be faithful to Christ and his kingdom unto death. To the last breath unto death. When you suffer, Peter said this, Peter, church tradition says he was crucified upside down for his faith. Peter, Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 4, 12-19, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's like we told you this was going to happen. You've seen it happen to Jesus. It's happening to us. It's going to happen to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Now, let me just say that Christ's sufferings is the unique focus here. Suffering in Christ. Don't get Christ and country confused. Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when the, his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because of the spirit of the glory of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And this is our mantra as we walk the planet for however many years we have, we are faithful, no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, even if persecution came, even if suffering intensifies, even if you do find yourself in a stadium, be faithful unto death. I think this is what Jesus meant when he said, if you're gonna follow me, you're gonna take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. Sometimes American Christianity doesn't look like that. You might say, well, it's because of the absence or the lack of intense persecution. And I would say maybe, maybe that that that's that's part of it, but I I also think it's it's quite possibly has to do with our lack of understanding of who Jesus is, what his kingdom is, and what he believes faithfulness to look like. Be faithful unto Death. Do not fear those who can kill the body, spiritual forces of evil. Fear God. Be faithful unto death. This is the message for you today. And ironically, this is the good life. This is it. Because there are now treasures in heaven, there is an eternity, a rule, and a reign with Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. You can't lose. You get the victor's crown in him. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, we are um, intensely aware that we are not like the church at Smyrna in so many ways. We're grateful that we don't face the kind of persecution that they were facing at the time. But Lord, we we learn from them. We see and we learn from them about faithfulness. And so, Father, would you make us a people who hears you and obeys you. People who love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. People who love other people like you do. Help us to be faithful, to not fear, to keep our eyes fixed on you. We love you, Jesus, in Christ's name, amen.